Father in heaven, thank you very much for the blessings of the day. Be with us in this uh, moment in which we are going to open the Bible to study some of the topics. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, we are going to continue today with hermeneutics. Yesterday, we were in this uh, point in which we were talking about three elements that are very important in the process of hermeneutics that are revelation, inspiration, and uh, illumination. And that's the reason why we say yesterday that it's important that when we do um, the process of hermeneutics, um, that is the process of interpretation of the Bible, um, the Lord revealed his truth through dreams by voice um, speaking in um, the minds of the prophet by visions, and of course the work. It is important to take in account the in the process of uh, hermeneutics the work of the Holy Spirit. Of course, when we are entering into this, you are going to um, understand that we are on the view of a very conservative. Uh, process of hermeneutics. This is not um, a liberal understanding of the process of hermeneutics in which high criticism is just comparing manuscripts and, uh, and uh, we are going to be talking about these elements uh, probably uh, intermingled in the, in, the, in the future of the uh, presentation. But also illumination means that when we are uh, praying, the same spirit that guided the holy writers are going to guide us in the process of understanding the uh, scriptures. And, and we need to understand uh, what is the flow of the process of hermeneutics. And the flow is this, um, the text, and I put that in English and Spanish, is guiding through or, or going to the reader that is um, the recipient of the process, and that is the right way. So it's the text that is guiding you, not you to the text. What does it mean and why I uh, mention this? Because Nowadays, we do have kind of uh, different hermeneutics, and I'm going to make or put here, in which text of the Bible, it is culture, and sometimes the culture is going to influence in the understanding of the text. Of course, there are elements in, in that process, yes, because everybody is reading from a different culture, the same text, okay? But, um, but in this process, there is a, a mediation, and we are going to review something from yesterday, that is translation. Translation. And uh, of course, sometimes translation is bringing some kind of, of positions, bias or 
what I will say, other elements that come in from those who are in the mediation process of the uh, translation process. For example, if, if, if uh, I, I, sometimes it's good to have this with my wife because sometimes she says to me, um, please take out all these elements coming from or South America or this and that, and, and, and that's right. But uh, it's part of the experience, you know, and uh, sometimes I cannot avoid, but yesterday I put the element coming from RV60, remember? RV60, when I say Shabbat, and they put here, day of rest. Day of rest. So that, every time that you read that in that language, is going to be fixed. All people that is resting every single day in the week. No difference. So you keep Sunday, day of rest. You keep Sabbath, the Bible says day of rest. But the point is, what is in the original? So this is a tendency in which translators sometimes enter a kind of element that put in neutral the topic. And in the moment in which you put the topic in neutral, you are not going forward. Put that neutral in your car and you are not going to advance. And you are not going to backward also. Um, that's part of the problem here. So in that kind of situations, translation, today I mentioned, has to be clear in one clear to the, um, to the audience. And that is a responsibility, but also in relationship with the text, has to be honest. Honest translation. An honest translation means that you need to find out the best of the text in the originals to give that meaning into the culture in which you are translating the topic in the text of the Bible. Yes. I have a question for yesterday. You said in the footnote they have a phrase that's like, something, sabato. Yeah. Okay. They put in a very tiny little, let, let's, um, are you familiar with typos in computers? Mm -hmm. Okay. Typeface normally is 12 when, when you are writing. However, if you put that typographical typeface in six, you, you are going to be very difficult to read it, okay? So they put in something between six and eight, aquí equivale a sábado, here it's equivalent to sábado or sábado. And, and it's very tiny and in the bottom, but not in the text. So the people is reading 
when, when you are reading the Bible, you are reading, and, and here is the point, you are reading here. So they put it in a very little, tiny things. Here is equivalent to Sabbath. And they, you, you know, they, they save their face upon that. But, um, but the question is, what you are doing that? Why don't, if that is equivalent to Sabbath under, why don't you put it in the text? And uh, and of course that is that is part uh, that is part of of the problem. So sometimes um, there are some questions coming for translation. And uh, well, uh, our friend is here, so I'm going to enter in a quick review about that um, the topic we were discussing yesterday. And let me put. Okay, um, this is a point in which um, yesterday we were discussing in class. You remember that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the point is, and it has to do with translation. And, that's the, and you brought the, the question. So um, the point is that when in 2 Timothy, the King James Version, and you know, it's a very honored version in English, and by the way, it's a very good version in general. Very, very good. So it's so good that some people uh, think that King James Version is first of the originals. So first comes for some people King James Version and after the originals. I, I'm just kidding, but uh, by the way, but... Uh, and the Bible says here, study to you thyself, approved. And my friend here says, well, the original doesn't say study. So what's, so here is, a, here is the problem. The point is how we can go to um, disclose the topic. Let me, I'm, I'm going to share with you some of the methodologies that are involved here. Here is a text in Greek. Snowdason. Um, Spodason means to make haste. Hasten is, is, is the critical word with which start the original. So um, um, one, one way is to, to do this. Let me see if I can do it. Uh, you can find it. Uh, this is a very good thing sometimes when you go, put all the orders of the words, and this is the transliteration, this is in Greek, and this is in English, and this is in the code, by the way. Um, all this, when the computers are tagged, they tag by number. So what uh, the computer made is uh, to put... Um, uh, what I will say, um, a code number for each word. So you are going to have the word in just, for example, if, if God is number one, you are going to have Elohim and the equivalent of that in the Septuagint and the equivalent to that in the uh, Greek New Testament. 
I'm, I'm just explaining uh, the process of, of these uh, codes. But, but it is good as a good exercise if you have a um, kind of evaluation and you are going to see all the, the words in order. So um, you are going to put then Spoudason, Hasten, Seauton, it's uh, this one, Seauton, yourself, document, approve, um, para test site um, to, to introduce yourself, to, to present, to stand by is another option. To Theo, to God, as Ergaton, Ergaton here, Walkman, um, and, and probably, and yesterday, I was emphasizing, if you remember, I, I was emphasizing here when she says, mm, the Bible didn't say study. So it is, it is good sometimes then to, do, to go to the original and also to do the exercise to put other versions. And I, and I copy, sorry, and I copy here other versions. Do your best. To present. And when she said that, I began to review in my mind how it says in Spanish. And in the moment in which I did that, I, I remember that in Spanish didn't say study. Um, because the version in Spanish say um, procura con diligencia. Fasten yourself to do something. However, however, don't, don't think that you need to go to Spanish. No, you don't need to. I do because I know the version in Spanish. But if I have to check something, I am going to go to the Greek in the New Testament, Hebrew in the Old Testament. Okay? However, however, when you survey um, new international version, new living translation. And, and you need to remember something. King James Version. What is the time of the King James Version? 1500. Of course. Of course. However, let me tell you something. It is a very good version. It is a very good version. And you... And you are going to see at the end that, um, that what, what is the idea? The, the, sometimes the idea the, of the study is not to study the Bible, but study how to introduce yourself before God. Mm -hmm. 1611. Yeah. So... <laughs> So the point here is, do your best. What is to do your best to present yourself to God? Because, by the way, when you see all, all, the, the, all, all the translations, and, and here is King James, be diligent. I like very much this one. And, uh, and I put, by the way, another version that sometimes in the times I've been working with translations in South America, 
um, it, from English, I like it very much. Uh, J.B. Phillips, by the way. Um, JB, the Phillips version, in English, by the way, it is a very good version. Um, it is a, it's not a translation. It's a kind of dynamic translation. And uh, let, me, let me bring here into the discussion some of the elements of the dynamic translation. And what does it mean, dynamic translation, um, in, in, in this? Um, uh, you, can, you can check in the internet a couple of works of Eugene Naida um, regarding translation of, of the Bible. And uh, sometimes when you have an idea or concept in one language and you are going to put that in a different language, let's say here, USA, English, and uh, Spanish, Spanish. Let me, let me clarify this just for culture. Spanish is the language. Hispanic is the culture. So every time that you are talking about in, in this, you, you need to take in account. And I mentioned that because last year we were doing a translation into an African language and somebody to help, you know, put the microphones and put Spanish and here put African. African, and I say, we, we need to be more specific because in Africa there are about 2,800, I don't know how many languages and dialects. Each country, yes. No, the borderlines, the borderlines are not the language. That, that, that's the point. So we need to be specific on that. And uh, that, that is important. But, but what, is, what is this? You have to put this idea. Uh, that is a, a specific idea. And you need to put this idea in this cultural linguistic context. And sometimes there are people that are going to say some, there are some complexities sometimes in, in linguistics. And, and, and let me tell you that if you are going to go word by word, you are not going to, to, to conceptualize the same thing into the other language. Because you are not going to find sometimes the words. Well, yes, literal. What what is literal translation? Sometimes it's faulty, because because you are not getting into the other world. So dynamic conception is a very good. And Naida is working with dynamic translation of the Bible. And, um, and getting back to the, to the point, uh, and in defense of the King James Version, by the way, I guess you are aware of the fact that, and, I, and I've been checking all, all, of, all of them. Here is Phillips, by the way, I put it 
Phillips, for yourself, concentrate on, on winning God's approval. I like the idea. I, I like very much. It's not, it's not textual, word by word. But it's going to give you the spirit of and the essence, the essence of, of the topic. So, and, uh, and this is in defense of the King James Version, that is the new King James Version. And the new King James says, be diligent to present yourself. People, in the process of translation, introduce personal, um, personal worldviews and personal bias and personal ideas religious ideas regarding the topic because they are going to to put the text like in um, uh, the new world version uh, you, you, you know what I'm talking about isn't it the new world version is the, is the bible that Jehovah witnesses are using you know so the Jehovah witnesses put first faith their faith their conception, and after that they work out the translation, and they were very adaptive of the version of their Bible to their own ideas. So even though, even though coming back to the, to this point, even though the Bible says um, the um, King James Version study um, to present yourself. You know, it, it is not so bad because um, it is a, an invitation to be ready to present um, yourself uh, to the Lord. Of course, I like very much the, the New King James Version. And I do have. I use it right now um, when I, am, I, I have to do a presentation in, in the church in English. I am going to use the New King James Version. It's, it's a very good it's a very good version. So I will say this, and uh, coming, coming back to the presentation, let's go back, um, because if not, the, the, the work is going to be very long. Um, um, translation has to be honest with the text, transparent to the culture, and these are the elements for me. You need to be faithful to the source, honest with the meaning of the word, clear with the auditorium. And sometimes it's not easy, you know. Um, I uh, I like very much when I when I work with uh, Burmese because uh, there is a young gentleman that translates for me, and I respect him very much. He is about maybe 21 years old, something like that, and uh, and um, and he, uh, in certain moments, keep. Um, a silent waiting for putting all the words and take his time, but he's going to give a very good translation into Tedim, that is that language that they use. Why? Because um, he is reflective and sometimes he's not so spontaneous uh, like many other people, but in the process, he's going to render the text of the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and what we are doing 
in this kind of element. Faithful, honest, and clear. And uh, let me tell you also that nowadays it's very difficult to hide uh, some topics regarding the Bible. First of all, because we have a very strong uh, sources and, um, and data of manuscripts. When we are working, uh, you need to, um, to know that we are working with about 5,000 manuscripts alive. That, that is powerful. And when you compare um, Christianity with Islam, for example, Islam, they don't have the, this kind of monumental uh, storage um, regarding, regarding background for them. They, they don't. They don't. Um, we, we do have... The, oh, oh, oh. Also, there are the time of the sources available. We don't have originals. Uh, it's true. However, we do have early versions, very early versions, that are powerful testimony about the transmitter of the truth. Um, e even uh, here in Michigan, in the library, Michigan Library, we do have um, some of the early papyrus. Maybe one equivalent is for... 125, um, that is a very earlier copy of the, um, uh, the book of John, the, the gospel of John. And that is powerful in my estimation regarding that. Today there is a wide spectrum of hermeneutics, by the way, legal hermeneutics. I am coming back to the topic right now. Biblical, archaeological hermeneutics, medical hermeneutics, um, language hermeneutics. Almost every field of study, you are going to have a kind of tool regarding um, some elements in, in hermeneutics. However, biblical hermeneutics, there are some words that you need to be familiar with. One of them is this one, exegesis. It's a, a very common word in working with biblical interpretation. And the meaning is the process of extracting the meaning, the sense of the biblical text. And, um, and there is a component that is the opposite. Because today we are involved in the church in attention and mostly the tension is upon hermeneutics. By the way, this in the I don't know if you remember the the eighties in the in the in the mainstream evangelical world, there was a book of Hal Lindsay, uh, who was editor of um, Christianity Today, the Bible in the Balance. Uh, and the other was the, the battle over the Bible. And, and we have a word inside the, the field of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And the center of the battle, if it is hermeneutics. And, um, 
I, 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 I have to confess that when I was a member of TOSC, Theology of Ordination Study Committee, for me, uh, when I arrived into that committee, it was a blessing at the beginning. We entered like a band of brothers, if you can call some way. When it finished, it was disbanded, the brotherhood from the beginning. And, um, and I detected that um, there were very important tendencies that was a very big disparage and um, differences regarding the authority of the text. And uh, there were some people that were um, in favor of gender neutral versions of the manuscripts. And, um, and precisely what we were discussing was gender. So in the moment you are in, in agreement with a gender neutral document, everything is going to disappear to prove something regarding genders. You, are, you, you understand what I'm saying? So probably uh, in the following days, I'm going to, to tackle this, uh, this topic um, in deep or more explicitly with, a, with, um, with um, um, to put kind of, of order in, in the presentation. Um, but uh, that is something coming. Gender neutral um, language is becoming um, um, very fastened in some, um, in some documents of the church, like the working policy. And of course, you are going to find out that is a big tendency in favor of gender, gender neutral version of the Bible, of, of the Bible. So, so I don't know how we are going to defend elements of people uh, like Ron Kelly probably has to be dealing with because he started dealing with that on Saturday. I couldn't listen all the presentations, but let me tell you that this is um, a kind of situation in other churches too, because if you put gender neutral, um, in the Bible, uh, genders in Genesis are going to disappear. And you are not going to detect who is who. So at that point, that point, you are going to, to enter that also is going to be affecting some elements of, of in the level of the divinity. And biblically, the husband could become the wife, and the wife could become the husband, and it's worse than just ordination. Because, yes, because, because they are going to call father and mother parents. And uh, somebody say, well, who is the father, who is the mother? No, the, here it is, it's parents. I, I do remember, I do remember, I do remember when I was a child, I entered into my, uh, 
one of the one of the members of the family took me to a Christian Science. Are you? I don't know if you are familiar with Christian Science. Oh. Are you aware of Christian Science? Yes, okay, Mary Morse Becker Eddy. Yes, and uh, yes, Christian Science. Um, uh, what is the book, Health and uh, uh, with Key of the Scriptures, okay? And, uh, and when they, she rephrased the Lord's Prayer. Are you aware of that? Father, Mother, God, which art in heaven. You know, I, <laughs> I was recent Catholic and um and um and i was and i was from from my childhood um an altar boy but when i heard that <laughs> i was surprised father mother god so look i began to feel myself like a kind of of um, of soldier of another army inside my own family. So when my father and my grandmother left, I went to check the books of them, of Mary Morse Becker Eddy, and I read with my own eyes the phrase. Uh, and I say, that's, that's a big mistake. So I think, by the way, that is, that is the spirit of studying yourself. You need to study. You need to read. You need to compare, to be prepared, to be in front of the Lord. Um, that, I'm, I'm telling about 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, you know? Because uh, when you compare and you study, you are going to discover certain things and for me, this is, this is a critical point. Coming back to the point in which I am, I am talking, exegesis, and the other word is eisegesis. Eisegesis. One is the tendency, if this is the text of the Bible, to extract the meaning from the text. The other... Aesthesis is to put cultural elements into the text. And sometimes that is part of the risk that we are having in, in our process. Are we extracting the sense from the Bible or we are implying the meaning of the Bible through our cultural understanding. So um, here is, for me, the direction of the interpretation. You have the text, and you are the reader, and you are reading the Bible from your language, from your culture, and you are reading from your world view also. You have a conception of the world and the universe and you are reading the text of the Bible from the history 
in which you are, and you understand that that text is coming from a different culture, from a different background. And also, you are reading the text of the Bible guided by the knowledge of your culture, worldview, history, and linguistic background that provided um, and the customs of the culture in which you are. However, um, however, the tendency of some people is to impose views from the readers upon the text of the Bible. And that is dangerous. We need to, we need to be humble ourselves um, to submit to the word and to the culture and to the teachings of the Bible and to understand what the Bible means and, um, and, and that is, that is a, a critical point. Sometimes books, um, the, the dynamics across the history, this is the tendency in which you are going to think about books. At the beginning were manuscripts. After that you have this and today you have this. All of them are books. Uh, sometimes if the work is book, um, I don't know if the one is, can be called book today or if this can be called book today. But, um, but that is the process in which sometimes we need to distinguish um, some elements. And let me tell you that translate these elements are very difficult. Because here is a papyrus. This is a, a kind of bonded book. And this is an electronic version of a collection of books. And, um, but however, the direction of the interpretation is, uh, for me, very clear. We need, we need to put the emphasis and the authority uh, coming from the text of the Bible to the reader and we need to, to change the culture of, of the environment in which we are based upon the teachings of the Bible. Because part of the problem that we are having today is that we are trying to, to change everything from the culture in which we are. It, and it's, that, is, that, is a serious, that, that is a serious problem. Um, the Bible informs the reader, the text, and its meaning. So here is the point in which I say that we were going to work today, and probably I'm going to, before the, um, the end of the day, we are going to complete the circle. This is what I call the circle of the hermeneutical work. I like very much the the writings of John. Um, how many books you have in the, in the Bible from John? That is, a, that is a, a quite interesting process, and I like very much John because John is writing in Greek from a different language. So all that is in John, in the heart of John, is a Hebrew that is writing in Greek. 
And, uh, and sometimes those who are in the kind of uh, context and feel the similar feeling and similar pain sometimes, um, that is quite challenging because Hebrew was not his language. Uh, excuse me. Hebrew was his language. Greek was not his language. And he was not so bilingual like Peter, for example. Probably Peter, uh, excuse me, Paul. Uh, Paul probably was the most bilingual in, in the writings of the New Testament. Of course, Peter was in the same problem of John, bigger probably than, than John, because uh, John was younger, and young people tend to uh, learn easily new languages. Are, are you aware of that? Yes. Um, one, one of the things that I like very much of John is the fact that when you uh, are going to learn Greek, um, you start, in all the seminars, uh, you are going to start with the book of John. Always. John has the blessing of being deep, deep. If you want to express yourself a deep idea of John, just go to John 1.1. And you are going to see a very deep idea in, in, in the Bible. Um, very deep. But also is simple. Sometimes deepness and simplicity is not always kind of merging in in an author, in a writer. And and when when you are reading a text, um, I recommend to you um, to be aware of the author. Who is the author? What is the context of the author? Where is he writing that epistle, gospel, or whatever? Um, that is going to, to give you of elements for the process of the, um, of the interpretation. Of course, you are going to distinguish, and I put here three, but you are going to expand that into another one, um, that the languages are Hebrew mainly in the Old Testament. In a minority is Aramaic, and Aramaic and Hebrew are very uh, interrelated uh, to the point in which there are some kind of lexicons that come together, Aramaic and Hebrew. And in the biblical times, some of the writers and authors like Daniel are going to be fully bilingual between Hebrew and Aramaic to the point in which when you uh, reach chapter 2, for example, um, and in the moment in which you probably remember in chapter 2, when um, the king Nebuchadnezzar says, and he spoke to the Chaldeans in Chaldean language, Daniel uh, took himself into the Aramaic and began to write everything into Aramaic until chapter 7. So this is the kind of condition in which sometimes the Bible uh, express 
um, <laughs> itself. And, and it, it is an interesting dynamic. The other point, you need to understand that um, literary styles are different from an author and uh, another. The levels of education are different, but all of them were guided by, by the Lord. That's the reason why hagiographer I like very much. The holy writers is the meaning of that. That means that they were under the conviction that the Lord was guiding them in the moment in which they were writing. And the literary style, it is important. In the Bible, you are going to see poetry. And, um, and there, there are some of them that, that is metric. I was surprised um, in reading some elements regarding Isaiah. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with the book of Isaiah in deep, but let me tell you that Isaiah has so deep in the Hebrew language that probably all the words that you are going to find in Isaiah, you are going to find out in the rest of the Old Testament plus the words that are in the book of Isaiah. And that is telling that Isaiah is working in the Old Testament like Shakespeare in English language. That, that was a very deep lexicon and, um, and formidable, extensive uh, vocabulary in the book of Isaiah. And that is, uh, that is telling you about the complexity of that. That's the reason why in some versions you are going to find that the, the books are um, written in this kind of condition. I don't know. It, normally, you are you understand the word justified to the right, isn't it? However, in the book of Isaiah, you are going to find out that. Why? Because there is a metric. There is metric because he is keeping, like in the poetry, the balance of the syntax of any uh, segment of the communication so, so well that translators, they do that in that way. Let me tell you something. Translating poetry into another language is challenging. It's challenging. You are not going to match um, the, the, the numeric First of all, the numeric equivalence for every single, you know, sentence, it, it is very, very difficult. Because sometimes um, the words are not going to keep in, in the same syllabi a structure when you, you, you put that syllabi um, in translation into another language. And sometimes you need to put maybe what? maybe three, four syllabies, when in the original it's one or two. I like very much Shakespeare. I, I like very much literature. But I commit a mistake. I, 
I was given that in Spanish. Sorry. Very good translators, by the way. But I, I read Shakespeare in Spanish. When I read back Shakespeare in English, I say, oh my God. Oh, please. Like the Quixote de la Mancha. To put it in English. Oh. Oh, of course. There, there are, what, what is the problem? The problem is, there is, the problem is that um, sometimes dynamic translation is needed. But, um, but the poetry, when you translate poetry, you ended up translating and making another poem in another language. Because you cannot keep the structure of, of all the elements in the other. H however, however, um, this, this is telling you this is w the most that we can do regarding Isaiah book. And that, that is good, by the way, because it's telling you that the reader and translator are trying to keep up with the concepts and ideas coming up from the text. Of course, um, in, the, in the process of hermeneutics, you are going to know about the lifestyle um, that is involved and the dynamics of uh, involvement. And you are going to see several elements uh, in, in, in the Bible. And, um, and sometimes the Bible is given a hint of the ideas. For example, Cornelius in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, visiting the house of Peter and just reaching into the door, not entering, just reaching the door. Why? Cultural. Lifestyle. He cannot enter because he was under the eyes of a Hebrew person, a goyim. Remember that we were talking yesterday or the day before about Galilee Algoim, Galilee of the Gentiles, Galilee of the nation? Tommy Stephen, because in the moment in which you touch something that is death, uh, in, in, the, in the Hebrew vision, uh, you are permanent contaminated. So that's a reason, that's a reason why fishers cannot enter into the sanctuary. Because fishes are very good for those who like to eat them, but to eat them you need death before, you know? Right. And in the moment you are touching something dead, you are contaminated and you cannot enter into the sanctuary for eight days. But if you are a fisher, forget the sanctuary. Or you are going to keep the profession, and, uh, or you are going to go to the sanctuary. But that is part of the reality of that. And, uh, and in the times of the New Testament, um, I, I, recommend, I recommend to you to read um, regarding this point, and there is kind of social element, Jerusalem in time of Jesus. Jerusalem in times of Jesus. Joaquin Jeremiah. Um, Sometimes if you go to the Baker Book House, Run Rapids, don't go to the main store, go to the back. 
cheaper. <laughs> and, and, and look for the J, and you are going to find out maybe one, two elements, and you are going to get one good book for maybe three, four books, bucks, um, because that is the use rate for that um, Jerusalem in times of Jesus. And it's going to give you a, a very big idea regarding lifestyle in the time of Jesus, and, um, and that is going to help you. Of course, um, we need to uh, keep in mind the sources of the, um, of the Bible and the connections of the words, ideas that are coming. I like very much doing that in the book of Revelation and the connections with the Old Testament, by the way. There are about 600 quotations in the book of Revelation of the books in the Old Testament. Right. That, that, is, that is a genius telling you that there are some deep elements coming from the Old Testament. When, when you read the, all the uh, triple angelic message, for example, you are going to find out, um, um, but in every sentence, you are going to find out connections with the Old Testament and with the prophets of the Old Testament. And that is telling you something. The guidance that John received in writing the book of Revelation is inspired by the same one that inspired the Old Testament writers. You are going to see that he is embedded in the mainframe of the ideology, idea, center about remnant and conceptual um, elements of that. Of course, the history, it, it is very important here to take in count. And, um, a, and I will say that a good book of history in taking count of elements because sometimes there are um, uh, today some challenges regarding, um, regarding prophecies, you know. Um, for example, Josephus. Are you familiar with the idea of Josephus? Uh, Josephus tells the story that Alexander the Great come into Jerusalem. Are you familiar with that? Yes. <clears throat> in that moment, in that moment, um, Josephus tells that when, uh, when he came, he came to request something from the Jewish. You, you remember the context of that? He was in Tyre, and he was in, in taking down that city and requested help, but Jewish people didn't do that. So, so Jerusa Jerusalem was um, surrounded by, um, by the troops and the armies of, of um, Alexander the Great. And it's quite curious that there are not many sources telling about that. Because if you go to the map, you are going to see Battle after battle, Alexander was taking all populations 
but not Jerusalem, not the Jewish. And you are going to say, mm -hmm, what happened here? I am missing something in history. Uh, I, I need to learn something regarding here, regarding this topic. And the point is that when, when they saw, the Jewish saw, the army of Alexander, they opened the gates <clears throat> and the high priest came out from the city with a book inspired by the Lord by, of one of the prophets. And, um, and the high priest showed Alexander that the holy writings of the Jewish people were telling in that book an anticipation of his word. That is Josephus, by the way. <clears throat> it is quite interesting because that happened in about 300 years before Jesus, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You agree with that because that is the time of Alexander. If not, you are going to move uh, Alexander time. But the point is that there are some writers that put the book of Daniel around the 250 before Christ. That means uh, approximately 100 years after that. Yeah. However, however, this is going to give you a hint to review the date line of the book of Daniel to set that before of Alexander Magnus. And that is going to give you something to reflect about the timeline because this is about 200 years before Alexander's Magnus that Daniel wrote about that power described in the book of Daniel, chapter 8, 9. And that is quite interesting because some people are telling that Daniel is Vaticinia post-eventum. Are you familiar with that? Vaticinia post eventum By the way, Vaticinia, post-eventum is Latin. And it's the same root of Vatican. That means prophesies. And uh, that means a prophecy that is made after the facts, as our friends mentioned recently. Vaticinia post eventum. But this is the fact I mentioned, and you can check that um, because um, um, Josephus, by the way, is going to give you all the details. He was an historian, and he was collecting the facts as a good history, and that is a very important source of information for us. So history is going to support some of the elements that we need to check when we are speaking, for example, about prophecies and so on. Because, of course, Vaticinia Poseventum means that prophecy is a forgery. Technically, that is, that is the case. So we need to be very careful about that. And normally, this is used by liberal theologians regarding this topic. So um, it, it, it is good to, to search on history. It, it is important. Geography. 
Um, I like very much um, um, the when when I was a child. I like very much geography. Sometimes um, the Bible is it is um, describing elements. And by the way, all the elements that are in the Bible were checked in the same place in which the Bible says. That is very important for us. Very important. We do have roots in history and in geography that we might be able to locate and to do a, a right process of interpretation. Let me, let me do a quick little comparison here. You cannot do that with the Book of Mormon. You can't. You can't. Uh, look in the Book of Mormon places in which battles happen. Thousands die. And you are not going to find out one little thing in the places in which Mormons are going to tell. Everything disappear. Even the Book of Mormon, by the way. Or, 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 or the golden uh, plates from which uh, Joseph Smith took that revelation was taken to the, to the heaven, you know. That, that is the tradition among them. However, when you go uh, to the places in which there are descriptions of armies, thousands in battle, uh, with shields, arrows, and so on. Uh, there, there, are not, there are not rests of that. Today, we are finding elements of, um, of the revolutions here in USA, but nothing, nothing about that. And millions are following that. And for me, it's a surprise, you know? It's a surprise. Um, some years ago, I was doing a presentation regarding Mormonism. I've, I've been doing uh, religious comparisons when I was from the time in which I was in South America. And I, um, and I was giving a seminar, and I was surprised. Because in that seminar, there were 55, 60 people attending. And uh, that is telling us that there are some people with relationship family ties, and so on, um, with some kind of connections with Mormonism. And Mormonism is, is a very big historical religious mistake that cannot demonstrate some of the big issues that they are presenting in, in, in the book of, of Mormon. Um, uh, there are, there are some, some big big problems in their book, by the way. For example, in the book of Alma, chapter 7, verse 10, says that Jesus was born in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and uh, one day, I received a couple of, of missionary Mormons in South America that, uh, that show me um, about the, the, the prophecies and the connection between the Book of Mormon and the Bible. And um, they use 
kind of um, of a teaching device in which they were putting some um, um, Fresnel things to to show your them, and they put the world, and there was a revelation for the old world, and they put the Bible, and a revelation for the new world, and they put the Book of Mormon, and they say they are in complete harmony. And I listen. After they finish, they say, "Do you have any question?" Yes, I do have one question. Just no more than one question. And what is the what is the question? The question is this. So this is a revelation for the old world, and that is the Bible. Yes. And this is a revelation for the new world, the Book of Mormon. Yes. So this revelation for the old world was given by God. Yes. And this revelation of the Book of Mormon for the New World is given by God. Yes. And they were happy, smiling. Lot of joy in the faces. So I continue and say, so if this is for the old world, this is for the new world, and God given revelation here and here, so this book and this book, no contradiction between them. And they watch each other and say, yes, no contradiction. Uh, nothing in contradiction. Nothing in contradiction. So full harmony between them. Yes, full harmony. So could you explain it then? This is my little question. <laughs> Please, you cannot laugh. <laughs> I'm talking to my wife, but just kidding. She was, she said, Daniel, there are two Mormons today. <laughs> so I say, where Jesus was born? And um, normally they are visiting two. One is the, is the leading voice, probably is the leading missionary, and the other is kind of back up, the new one, learning. So I was explicitly speaking in Spanish and very clear Hispanic accent, transparent for every culture, I asked, donde nació Jesus? Where Jesus was born. And the guy in the rear, catch up, got the point and say, and say, Belém. Wow, I say myself, that, that's fantastic. And the one in the front says to me, Jerusalem, and watch the other and say, and the other answered back to him, Belém. And the other, Jerusalem. And he watched me like, Hey, you, you the judge, Belen. And the other turn around and say to him, Jerusalem. <laughs> and watch him like, Jerusalem, or I'll kill you. <laughs> and he, 
He said, Belém. <laughs> so I, t I told them, <clears throat> look guys, why don't you um, get in a harmony regarding this? Um, because I, I observed some kind of, of differences here. Um, and he says to me, why you say um, uh, Belém? Because the Bible says Belém. Never says Jerusalem, so your friend is right. But in those days, he says to me, and that was very daring, uh, in those days, all the area was called Jerusalem. I say, well, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I say one question, but I need to make a second question now. Can you answer the second question? Yes. Okay. Why King Herod sent to kill all the children in Belen, but not in Jerusalem? Silence. Silence, silence. I say, uh, are you going to be here tomorrow? <laughs> oh, the rest of the story, don't, don't worry. But you need to know a story because uh, when you know geography and cultural elements, you are going to discover these things and that, that are important. See you tomorrow. God bless you. And uh, enjoy, enjoy the rest of the week with seminars and blessings. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the blessings of the Holy Scriptures, the Bible that is revealed by you. Be with us in this process in which we are going to work a right process of uh, biblical interpretation. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.